and welcome to the New York Film Academy's final show of the season. It's very appropriate that Peter Rayner is back because we're doing a recap of 2017 in cinema. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hey guys, you know that music. It's Star Wars Weekend, and while you won't find any spoilers here, we're going to talk a little bit about what makes this movie special and why it's on our favorites of the year. Peter Rayner, of course, famous for Rayner on film, his amazing book, uh, which has maybe the best dedication to Marlon Brando you will ever read, is here, back with us in studio. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joelle. Hey! We've made it to the end of the year on these movies. (sighs) Just barely. It has been a crazy year for cinema. Yeah, it has been, yeah. just such a lackluster summer. Like lack, it, lackluster almost doesn't quite define it. It was a terrible, terrible year, summer. money-wise, <laughs> for summer. Yeah. Uh, to learning that in February you can release blockbuster material. <laughs> Who knew? It's, <laughs> it's strange. Of course, the, the weird thing about the whole year is that the the scandals of Hollywood kind of overshadow the movies of Hollywood. It's uh, true. You know, I mean, that was kind of got top billing. And sometimes, as a movie critic, I felt like I was you know covering the sideshow and mm-hmm. not the main event. Uh, and some critics and commentators would sort of try to conflate the two and talk about, you know, Woody Allen movies in terms of psychobiography and all of this yeah. stuff, which I'm not too crazy about doing. It's uncomfortable to diagnose someone you've never met. I find it weird when people do that. Yeah, and also, I mean, it, it, you know, it, theoretically, it, 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 the pure in heart don't always make great movies, mm-hmm. and there are some, quote, bad people who make great movies. But I do think that inhumane. Art is not art. And so, you know, ultimately, no matter who you are, if you're making something that's, you know, vile or racist or whatever, it's, it's, not, it's not art. It's not good. Uh, but, you know, that's a different discussion. But, I mean, this was a crazy year for movies uh, because there was so many, you know, uh, films coming out all the time that you quite – a lot of overrated movies, in my opinion. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think people were looking for a buzz that wasn't there. Lady Bird, maybe? Yeah. Oh, you aren't a big fan of Lady Bird either. Again, yeah. like, to me, it's not about not being a fan. Like, I like Lady Bird. I think it has everything a movie should have. Like, it checks all the boxes. It's well shot. It has good performances. It's a solid story with a lot of truth to it. But after that, I'm like, what are we celebrating here? Like, it's a yeah. good movie, but great movie? Highest yeah. rated movie of all time? Very weird. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, I thought it was it was sort of like like one of these Broadway hit shows that, you know, every button is pushed and every everything works. It's it's a fine movie. It's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, the mother-daughter relationship is, is good. It has more Catholic girl, you know, uh, <laughs> jokes and yeah. anecdotes than probably uh, – but yeah, I mean, it's not a great movie. It, uh, it it's just a very enjoyable film, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But but you know, that's sort of an example of the kind of movie that's been getting all kinds of. Call Me By Your Name is another movie that I think is perfectly fine, but yep. not exactly a towering masterpiece. People act like this is the romance to end all romances, and I'm like, again, quality film, beautifully shot, love the performances, but it's nothing. That I have not seen before. It doesn't kind of bowl me over in its perfection, you know. Yeah, I didn't think there were there was enough there there. Uh, you know, even with the characters, I thought the performances were perfectly good. I don't think that you know uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet is is gives in any way the best performance of the year. Yes, uh, there isn't enough stuff going on with both of those characters in terms of their life histories. 
great villa. I'd love mm-hmm. to spend time there and, you know, sip white wine. And, uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, it's beautifully shot. Um, Shape of Water is another movie that I, even though I think parts of it are, are, are quite phenomenal, uh, the the fantastical parts uh, are the are the wonderful parts. But then there's this whole Cold War melodrama thing that's that's very much a part of this movie. That I think um, you know Del Toro is a great fantasist, a great uh, sure imaginative is. visual filmmaker. Um, but he also has a very pulpy side. You know, he's seen a, a oh, jillion yeah. movies, many of which are referenced in in Shape of Water, and and rightly so because he makes them his own. You know, Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. and uh, the Cocteau's film and others. But he also has this kind of pulpy side, and I think that that's what sort of, you know... Uh, Won the day here? Uh, sort of. I mean, Definitely. You know. And the thing is, I understood the hoopla around uh, Shape of Water. For multi- One, I'm like a super nerd, so I follow all of the like nerd sites, <laughs> the trends, and what was exciting about this is, of course, Del Toro's previous work in Hellboy. You know, people want to draw correlations between characters. They want to, um, as we're building out universes in cinema, there was a lot of buzz around that kind of idea of, like, is this going to be a new universe that, like, a Del Toro-centered universe, which would have been fun and exciting. Um, And then even to the point of, like, he brought together a really great kind of unconventional cast together. Unconventional just in that I would not have expected to see these actors necessarily working together in a film, especially during this era. Um, But long term, yeah, you know, again, fun. A little weird at times. Uh, bizarre yeah. sex scenes, which, you know, take or leave. Yeah, E.T. Me, E.T. Uh, with sex. It, it's it just very Creature strange. from the Black Lagoon. You know, but but those are the scenes I sort of, I mean, th- I like those scenes because they, they were like really nothing else. And I like mm-hmm. Sally Hawkins. I think she's, oh, she's phenomenal. really good in this film. But you know what? She's equally good or better in a movie that, that just kind of slipped away this year called Maudie. Oh, I don't where know she this plays film. this outsider artist, a real person, um, with Ethan Hawke, and um, she's sort of a hobbled, uh, you know, woman who who is uh, very recessive. Um, and, you know, it's 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 an amazing performance, and uh, both of these performances are are really extraordinary in the same year. But unfortunately, Shape of Water is getting all of the attention, about, you know, from her, which which. I suppose if you're voting makes sense because mm-hmm. if you vote for these awards, you have to vote for the the picture and not the, I mean for the actress, for the picture and not the actress. So yeah, if, you know you this, want to split your vote with the, the. That kind of reminds me of like Naomi when she did uh, Blue Velvet, which was great and yeah. critically acclaimed at the time, but did not do great circulation wise. And mm-hmm. then she came out with The Ring just a couple of years. And people were like, "Oh my god, <laughs> she's born overnight!" It's like where have you been? Yeah. No, I know, I know. It's uh, it's 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 a shame but but you know nevertheless um she's been in you know a bunch of mike lee movies and she was terrific in those films she's and and, and i and she's she's not a conventional type movie star mm-hmm. so i hope that this helps she would have been great in the silent era especially when you see uh, you know, Shape of Water and, and Morty. I mean, you know, she does so much of her acting with her with her eyes. I was going to say, she's got the yeah. eyes for the silent era. Yeah. Nice and big. Keeping on the uh, kind of more traditional Hollywood cinema, let's talk a little bit about The Post, the Steven Spielberg's latest yeah. movie, of course, starring Meryl Streep. Um, what did you think of The Post? Why did that make your list? Well, it didn't make my 10 best list. Yeah. It's, it, but, but, I mean, it's... I mean, I think it's... I like the post. I again, I don't think you know it's it's a very conventional movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think Spielberg 
can direct these movies blindfolded. You know, he just knows how to make everything click and fall into place and, and move. And um, he directed it very quickly. Uh, the film was put into production specifically to be released this year. Oh, wow. Yeah, the script was only completed like a little over a year ago, I think. And, um, this is like Wonder Woman timing on here. Yeah, That's I mean, because cool. he wanted it to to speak to the zeitgeist, you know, about freedom of the press, about you know, um, women, uh, you know, uh, overcoming male privilege and corporate, you know, all of all of those things were very, you know, that are so current now. Super timely, uh, you know, and that's that's why he he very much you know is on the record as saying that that's why they they rush this through. Uh, it doesn't feel rushed as a movie. It feels like you know it was very well uh, organized. I, I I don't think there's anything startlingly original about it as as a newspaper film. Uh, I wouldn't rank it up there with uh, with all the President's Men or, or you know or even Spotlight. The co-writer of Spotlight is the co-writer of this film. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but the. Um, Performances by Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep are, are, are quite good. You know, Hanks is, is it's a different take on Ben Bradley from what we remember Jason Robards and, and all the presidents men, but he's very convincing. And and Streep is Kay Graham, the you know the first uh, woman publisher of a major newspaper who finally gave the go ahead to publish the uh, Pentagon Papers, which is the crux of the movie. Um, against all odds, she's wonderful as usual. Um, uh, her makeup for me would look, I don't know, a little Mandarin or something. I, I didn't, I, I thought it was a little off-putting the way they made her up. But I think, you know, she gives a very touching was and real performance. Was she made not to be beautiful or is it? I don't know. I think they didn't want her to look like Meryl Streep. So okay. they did something to make her look less like who she is. Copy. But I don't think they really needed to, to do that. Mm. Um uh, but she's awfully good in it. I, I do. Having said that, I kind of hope she stops playing famous ladies or real people for a while. You know, Julia Child, Maggie Thatcher. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you get that to a opera point. Opera lady. Yeah, totally. uh, right. I mean, not as well known, but yeah, <laughs> Florence Foster Jenkins. There we go. Which is a movie I really loved, and and I'm sort of in the so minority fun. on that. Yeah, people hated it. I'm like, it's a fun movie. Come I on. know. I, they really hated it. Uh, <laughs> The union of Hanks and Streep is kind of like uh, De Niro and Al Pacino in Heat for me. Like, two great actors <laughs> that we haven't seen do scenes together, right. coming together to do, you know, a Spielberg movie, right. no less. Um, like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yeah, and <laughs> I purposely haven't done too much research on this film yet, just because uh, I like... If, I, if In my ideal world, I would see every movie at a festival with just no information beforehand and just get to experience it. Right. Are they on the same side of things, or are they at odds with each other in the movie? You mean... Um, Hanks and Streep. As characters in the Yeah, film. yeah. Yeah, well, they're sort of... You know, they're, they're at odds, but underneath it, there's a respect and oh, love. Oh, okay, it's one of those. All you right. know, but it's not sappy. Um there's a scene early on uh, before the Watergate thing happens where, you know, the, the Post is sort of trying to be a, a big newspaper. And at that point, they're really sort of more of a regional paper uh, in the shadow of the New York Times. And they're being kept out of coverage of Trisha Nixon's wedding because the because Nixon doesn't like the Washington Post wow. style page. You know, he thinks they're too nasty. So 
Streep and Hanks have a breakfast, and and she says, "Well, maybe we are a little too nasty." And he, and 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 Bradley, you know, is the editor of the paper, says, "You know, get your." I think he says, "Like, get your finger out of my eye." <laughs> and and you know, the way he says it is kind of not entirely a joke, but it's it's, you know, they're very good together. It's this very good teamwork. So it looks like. Also, uh, not quite making the top ten, but definitely in, uh, you know, honorable mentions, 13 billboards. Or three billboards. Three billboards. Well, that's another one I thought was overrated. Um, I mean, my actual top ten is is very uh, eccentric and weird. and um, It is. Uh, it's very diverse. Yeah, I mean, it is. Three billboards, I thought, uh, had the virtue of never going where you thought it was going to go. You know, so it gets points for unpredictability. But I didn't think in the end that it really – it didn't really work for me. Uh, the the uh, Francis McDormand is very good in a very rather one-note role. I mm-hmm. thought, you know, she's sort of indomitable and vengeful and this angry. this is the most honest role they've ever seen. Like, she win for Oscars. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought the best performance in the movie was Woody Harrelson, mm. who plays a, 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 a police chief that yeah. she goes after and, and who's sick. And it's a wonderful performance. Uh, he also plays LBJ in LBJ this year, which no one seems to have bothered to check out. And, and except for him, it's not really that great. But but um, but he, he's a wonderful actor, and I think he's he's for me gave the best performance in Three Billboards. Um, Overall, it sort of struck me as being kind of second tier Kenneth Lonergan kind of stuff, you know. That, that, okay, strong words. You know, I mean, he's also a sort of Irish or Irish American playwright, and and he, he's very good with dialogue and uh, and so forth. But but I, I don't know. There were just sort of too many too many roads not taken, and the roads that were taken, I thought, were uh, not always that believable. Mm-hmm. The last one on your uh, honorable mentions list is the new Star Wars movie, uh, The Last Jedi, which we will not do spoilers here, guys. Um, <laughs> I know, for me, in my review, I wasn't ready to put it at my number one Star Wars film of all time, um, but I definitely think it outdid uh, The Force Awakens. Uh, I love the story. I love what Ryan Johnson was able to do with those characters. What was the standout moment for you in the film. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's very enjoyable and um, uh, standout moment. Um, I don't know. I thought Mark Hamill was really good in it. My goodness. You know, I mean, he gives a really good performance. Uh, and I, I can't say too much because I'll start yeah, giving things no, away. No, we don't want to do any spoilers. Uh, but I do think that it... Um, uh, you know, he put some real soulfulness into it, uh, where he probably didn't even need to do that. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's it it's kind of like the perils of Pauline. I mean, there's a cliffhanger every 15 minutes, and it's true. Adam Driver is is about as broody as he's like. Has he ever played Hamlet? Uh, <laughs> he really he, he needs probably to, has. though. I really liked what they were able to do with Kylo. Uh, writing wise, again, we won't do any spoilers, but. Um, I thought they gave a lot of validity to that character. As before, you're like, this is just a crazy like child acting out. They they gave him some backbone and a structure to build off of. Yeah. Uh, and the repeating scene worked really well for me structurally. Yeah. Um. So fun film. Yeah. It. Uh, you know. I, I. I think for me the best is Empire Strikes Back. I think oh, most people, fair. you know, pretty great. But this film references that quite a bit. 
Um, and I guess there's another one left in the trilogy, and then and then Ryan Johnson's going to do another trilogy after that. Well, JJ's uh, going to do the final one in this trilogy, right? But then yeah, after then that, Ryan I think he's, he's going to do three more. It'll be interesting to see where he takes that, and they're not following the Skywalker family. Um, but I'm I mean, I'm not. It. You know, I am not a Star Wars nut. Like some people are, so I didn't find. I mean, this is not a religious experience for me. This film, it was, but I know you watch. <laughs> but it, it worked for me, uh, even even so. So it, it'll work for the four other people out there who are not <laughs> Star Wars nuts. I look forward to hearing this. The um, in seeing it early, the thing I've been waiting on most is just for to get other people's reactions to it. So I'm right. looking forward to it. Let's get into your top ten. Uh, I'm going to start with my least favorite of your top ten, which is Mother. Which, <laughs> what, what did you like I about know, Mother? How does I it make know. it in I'm there? I'm going to get a lot of heat for this. <laughs> um, I mean, people didn't just dislike this movie. They they hated this yeah. movie. Uh, I mean, you know, Rex Reed said, it's not just the worst movie of the year. It's the worst movie of the of the century. I thought that was but, excessive. Yeah. But. I, I, you know, yes, it goes way off the deep end the last 15 minutes. And I, you see, I normally don't like Darren Aronofsky movies, so I feel doubly weird for liking this <laughs> film, you know, because all the people who like his movie. Um, I just thought, it, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's like a, a Rosemary's Baby kind of thing, mm-hmm. which a lot of people are. I think it's about, uh, it's sort of his mea culpa for being a, uh, prima donna shall we say sure uh i mean the the javier bardem character is is a sort of diva you know self-infatuated poet and jennifer lawrence is kind of his wife slash muse and he puts through all this horrible stuff um and to me it was kind of a movie about uh you know just how uh uh reprehensible the artistic uh personality can be you know how how hard to live with okay i can uh, see that you know the whole time i just felt like i wish he would have done this just gotten a story credit and handed it over to a woman to be like maybe we flesh this world out a little bit more explore less surfacey issues with women like it just it to me it just felt like feminism 101 um and that there wasn't a lot of depth behind the surface um i was intrigued by a lot of the performances and anything that's like weird and kind of avant-garde i'm instantly going to gravitate towards so it's it was an intriguing experience watching the film but i don't know if it cracks my top 10 i know i know well you speak for millions (laughs) um let's see but it was number 10, so I didn't... Right, yeah, right. It's, it's, it's not... Yeah, okay. That's totally fair. Uh, number nine <laughs> Ten is... and a half. In, <laughs> Peter. Uh, number nine is The Breadwinner, which is an animated film that's been making the circuit. Uh, for me, it's my favorite animated film since maybe The Secret of Kells. Um, yeah, this is, she, she worked on that also. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, for you, what was it about the story in The Breadwinner that gets it onto your list? Well, I think it's it's just a really touching, powerful... Uh, story that that has all sorts of ramifications, both you know personally and politically. Now you know this 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 girl tries to save her family from the Taliban in in, in you know in Kabul, and uh, I know a lot of people think that animation should just be for you know fun games kind of stuff or goofy stuff, and that you can't deal with serious issues in animation, but it's been proven time and again that you can. Marjan Strapi did it with her book Persepolis, which was an, turned yeah. into an animated feature. Um, I never understood that that 
theory of like, oh, well, suddenly it's a drawing and so it can't be emotionally impactful. I don't know. I guess, you know, people grow up with, uh, with you know, Disney or whatever, you know. Bugs Bunny, and, for sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, and you don't think that you can speak to something serious using animation because it's basically a kid's genre. The nice thing about the, the breadwinner is that I think it works for for kids and for adults, too. You can you can interpret it on many levels. And, uh, you know, I, it's very, very beautifully animated. And, um, you know, the voice work is good. I, I think Angelina Jolie is involved. Yeah. Like no, she is had she a, like she a production credit yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, she, by the way, did a, directed a very interesting film, you know. I've heard uh, interesting things about that movie. A lot of yeah. controversy about the way they went First about casting it. First, they killed my father. It. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very strong film. Uh, you know, set during the, uh, the, the you know the Khmer Rouge massacres. Um, but yeah, I think Breadwinner is just a you know marvelous, marvelous movie. Uh, I encourage people to see it if you can in your hometown. I'm sure it'll be available on Amazon Prime soon. Yeah, uh, if it's not already. Uh, let's take a look at number eight, Ex Libris. What is this? <laughs> Ex Libris is a three and a half hour Fred Wiseman documentary. Oh, now, Fred Wiseman to me is God. Okay, mm. he's he's 87, I think now. And he makes a movie a year since, you know, the 60s. And almost all of them are first rate. This is about the New York Public Library. And what he does, he he tends to make movies about institutions of some kind, social institutions, political institutions, you know, Neiman Marcus. You know, he's been all over the place. Um, And he spent, uh, you know, many months filming uh, not only the main branch of the New York Public Library, but the many branches around the city. Uh, he does have a tendency to go in a little bit too much for board meetings, you know. I mean, sometimes you feel like you're trapped in a, in a cable access, you know, town hall <laughs> tape loop. Uh, but but it, it's it's just a very powerful movie. It's 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 a movie about it's sort of an ode to not only New York and and the many people who inhabit these libraries and work there, which is an incredible cross section of people of all kinds. Um, but it's also sort of an ode to to the freedom that is engendered by these libraries, which is, if you think about it, a very important thing right now in the world. It's uh, totally fascinating. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, writers and, and musicians like Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer doing these uh, really elaborate setups at the New York Library trying to help raise funds. Uh, People of New York, a very popular Facebook page, now Coffee Table Book, um, had, they had a huge thing where they were going around collecting the stories of librarians at the New York Library. So incredibly timely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that stuff in the movie. The weird thing is that you very rarely see in the film an actual hard copy book. You know, libraries have become so much more, you know, than that. I mean, everything is digitized. There's concerts. There's there's planning sessions. There's political rallies. There's, you know, uh, first responders, to, you know, try to encourage people to to sign up. And all of these things going on in, the, in, the, in the, at least in, in this constellation of libraries. And it's it's just fascinating. Um, and there's even, you know, very funny little asides like this, you know, someone who's answering the phones, the library, and he goes, says, um, no, ma'am, um, actually, a unicorn is, is not a real animal. Oh, no. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to watch this now. I yeah, love Yeah, it's three libraries. and a half hours, but you know what? So what? I mean, it's, that's actually fairly short for Wiseman. Um, wow, okay. Uh, but it's, it's a terrific film. It, um, yeah, I mean, he always shows his films on PBS. Until fairly recently, the only way you could see his movies was either by catching them on PBS or, or you know, renting them at exorbitant prices from his company in, in, in Cambridge, Mass. 
but then he was then he's been putting his films on DVD and I don't know if they're streaming or anything but but you can definitely um access them in, in other ways besides seeing them in theaters at this point um and he got uh, last year the governor's award from the academy for his life work because shockingly he was never nominated even nominated for um uh, an Oscar for Best Documentary, wow. which is totally shocking. And, uh, I mean, because for me, he has the, the greatest body of work of any living American filmmaker. It's a huge body of work every year. Yeah, it's over year. 40 films, and wow. some of them are, are just absolute mass domestic violence, hospital, law and order. Uh, you know, I could go on and on. I mean, they're just great, great movies. Juvenile so, Court, Welfare. Do you think uh, Ex Libris will get some kind of award consideration? Do you think people will be talking about it? I yeah. I mean, it's the problem is that that when you have a film that's that long, mm-hmm. it, it tends not to get the kind of votes it should get because not enough people have seen it. Right. But it, it did very well in the critics the critics uh, awards polling. I don't think Faces Places I think won most of the time in in the major critic groups. But it it. it, it you know, he doesn't need those kind of awards so much anymore, but it always helps. Definitely. Uh, it's gonna, it seems like it'll be a very strange year for awards as well. I don't want to deviate too much from the list, but yeah. um, I know the New York Film Critics, was it Society or Circle? Circle. Thank you. Uh, they voted for, like, Moonlight with Best Director. Um, last think, year. Yeah. Uh, and well, then no, this last year, year we, the New York, New York Critics voted for La La Land for Best Picture. Uh, and, and then was the best director then? Was uh, Moonlight was best uh, director? Okay, but in in um, L.A. I believe it was Moonlight that was best picture. Yeah, and then this yeah. year they did Get Out, but we noticed that the Golden Globes did not pick up uh, Jordan Peele as best director. Um, a lot of people were looking to Greta Gerwig to maybe get some nominations this year. That didn't happen at the Golden Globes. Uh, I have a feeling that when by the time Oscars comes out, it's going to be an entirely different set, which will be very weird. Uh, typically, they are pretty much aligned. Well, there's no consensus this year, which is can be kind of interesting. And you know, these people who make their make their living handicapping the Oscars, you know, starting January first, mm. you know, with all these flow charts and stuff. I mean, it's all kind of nonsense. And and afterwards, when everybody's wrong, they don't really go back and say, "Oops," they just kind of move on nonsense. to next year. There's no harm in guessing. I, you know, I I uh, I'm not particularly good at at predicting Oscars. People think, "Oh, you're a film critic. I'm going to find out what you." <laughs> but no, I mean, film critics often outsmart themselves. Uh, the, the the big trap you fall into when you're handicapping Oscars is to is to uh, uh, pick films that you like as opposed to the ones you think will win Truth. you know I mean it's 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 very uh, tempting to put a film that you really like in there oh, this is going to win best picture when you know that some film you hate is much more likely to win I watched lost you my know. 2012 Oscar poll because I chose uh, how to train your dragon over Toy Story 3 for best animated picture because it moved me they should have known Toy Story was going to win. Uh, tell us a little bit about Kitty. That's another film that hasn't been, you know, <laughs> high in circulation. I know. Yeah, it's 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 a documentary about cats in Istanbul, uh, <laughs> but it's a wonderful movie. Uh, the, the way it works in Istanbul is for thousands of years. Apparently, the city has been overrun with cats because they're considered, I don't know, good luck charms, or but you know, they they just kind of let them run free. Um, and so the film is shot sort of from cat's point of view a lot of the time. Focuses on three or four of these cats and all the troubles that they get into. Uh, but but more than that, it's a, it's a movie about the city itself and the people who inhabit it. 
um, and uh, you know who, who love these cats, and 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 it, it just it's, it ends up being this kind of rhapsodic portrait of of a great city uh, through the eyes of these cats. It's it's hard to describe, it, but it's it's a wonderful movie. I've heard nothing but really great things from yeah. the people who've seen it. They're like, it's funny, it's charming, um, and it's a really interesting way to explore a city that many people haven't had an opportunity to exactly. visit. Exactly, you know, and I'm not a big cat person either. You know, that's not why I I really like this film. Uh, if you are a cat person, then it's probably be like the Star Wars of cat films, right? <laughs> I'm surprised YouTube hasn't gotten a hold of it yet, and it kind of seems perfect for them. Here's a movie I haven't seen yet, but I'm dying to see The Phantom Thread, which is rumored to be Daniel Day-Lewis's final film. I know, I know. How are you feeling about, is this a good note for him to leave on? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a very good movie, and it's a terrific performance, but that's all the more reason why he shouldn't be leaving. <laughs> you know, I just, I, you know, I think he's a little bit nutty, perhaps, yes. shall we say. Um, but the fact that perhaps the greatest actor in movies is who's won three Oscars and could possibly win a fourth for this is just going to sort of hang it up. He's not that old. Mm. Why? I, I don't get it. I mean, he said he sort of fell out of favor with himself when he made this movie. It was too sad an experience. I, I don't really, I don't get it. He talked a lot um, about filming in a very small house because the, the shop where they worked, so that's where they filmed. I don't know. You know, he's married to Rebecca Miller, who's yeah. a film director, the daughter of Arthur Miller. And and uh, so I'm hoping that at some point... She'll she, write she'll, something for him. Well, she needs, she'll, she'll need money, you know, she'll need <laughs> somebody to step in and make the financing for this film, and he'll do it. I mean, he has been in films of hers before. Um, was it My Left Foot Her film? No, no, that was, uh, that was Jim Sheridan. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was, a, that was, wow, what a performance that was. Yeah, it was really great. Uh, but, you know, he... Um, He's kind of done this before unofficially. He doesn't act that much. There's mm-hmm. three or four years between movies. And one time he sort of took off entirely and, and worked as a cobbler in, in Italy. You know, he has, it comes from one side of his family were cobblers, you know. So, um, but this is the first time he has sort of said publicly that he's not acting anymore. But, you know, Sinatra said he wasn't going to perform anymore and then he came back and you know I mean, jimmy kazaki has like retired three times in the last like five or six yeah years, i mean so. i'm hoping there's some role that's just so great that he can't, can't possibly turn it, turn it down but he plays a 1950s Fr- uh, uh, english um uh dressmaker in this mm-hmm. movie not a real person but a sort of a composite of several people i think um who with his uh, sister is you know is part of this company that he owns that uh and and it, it's it's a strange movie because it's really more like like Rebecca or Vertigo, really than anything else. Yeah, that that's not how they're promoting it. Um, that's not what I got it, at it's all. It's kind of a freaky movie in in good ways. I wonder if they're trying to get Amazon had a series set in the same time period with the same kind of backstory of like people who survived the war and now they're making these very elaborate garments, um, which had the feel of the trailers. It's like a romance and right. then very pretty clothing. I loved it. It was very much up right. my alley. Um, right. So it's interesting to see this is more like Vertigo's murder mystery kind of psychological. Well, when thriller. you see it, yeah, and, and in fact, because uh, I. I I was thinking all that while I saw the movie, and then uh, there was a and a after the screening I was at with, with the director, Paul Thomas Anderson, who also wrote it, and and he brought up those films. I mean, it's uh-huh. it's pretty clear that, that that's the direction he was going in. Okay. Um, so... 
Yeah. Let's talk about a film that was on almost everyone's favorite list, The Big Sick, uh, which is based off the real life events of a couple who meet, fall in love, and then the woman just becomes tragically ill. And then it's a struggle, uh, you know, dealing with her family and, and trying to keep romance alive when dealing with terminal illness, um, which turned out not to be terminal in the end. Uh, what stuck for you with The Big Sick? What makes this different than, you know, other pictures that came out this year? Well, I I think it's very funny. It's very well written. It has tremendous acting by the whole cast, including uh, you know Ray Romano, uh, who's an underrated uh, actor, and, and and Holly Hunter. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's just very very well acted uh, with with some depth to the performances, and it's it's a culture clash movie. Mm. You know, he's he's a, a, a you know a Muslim, I think Pakistani immigrant who who uh, you know, and she. He can't even tell his parents that he's dating a white girl, and 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 that you know, so it it it, it touches a lot of nerves in terms of of of, of that kind of um, you know cultural collision. Uh, uh, but it's 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 funny and it's sad and it's it's not a great movie. You know, it, it in some ways it's like Lady Bird. You mm-hmm. know, it sort of punches all the right buttons and it's very slick. But but it does have heart to it, and and I think uh, you know particularly with his story, um, you know what he goes through to have his parents sort of accept what he's doing. They don't even like the fact that he's a stand-up comic. You know, he drives Uber, you know, to make a living, and uh, and then all of this other stuff happens. Uh, you know, I I, I I wasn't surprised that it's based on on a real uh, relationship because yeah. it does seem you know fairly true and authentic in the way it comes across. Definitely. Uh, I'd love to talk more about The Big Sick, but we're running on time. I want to make sure yep. we hit every film. Uh, your next one, which we talked about before, I hadn't seen. You filled me in. Agnes Varda is still yeah, making yeah. movies. What? Yeah. And this one is called Faces Places. And it's basically her and her camera running around France uh, talking to artists and, and just people out in the streets. How? <laughs> She's just so legendary to me, and I, I really adore her. I cannot wait to see this film. How, what stuck with you about Faces Places? Like what? Well, it's you know, it's it's such an idiosyncratic, one of a kind, handmade movie, which is, is particularly in her documentaries, is what she does. You know, if you remember the Gleaners and I, you know, she she does these films where she sort of discovers the movie as she makes it, mm-hmm. and she teamed up with this. Um, uh, I don't know what you'd call him exactly. He, the guy named Jr. He's in his thirties, and she's eighty-nine, and they sort of form this 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 twosome where they travel the French countryside. He takes these these pictures of of the villagers as they travel around in this uh, large truck that he has that has a developing room in it and everything. So he takes pictures of people, and then he somehow blows these photos up and and plasters them on the sides of buildings and and, and walls. Like a bank seat. Yeah, like like you know, some woman lives in a in a, in a house house that she doesn't want to vacate or something so they, they put this big face you know photo face of her on on, on the front of the, the the building um it's it's very weird but but also just the intimations of mortality and friendship and everything else that goes on in this movie the discussions that they have the relationship that they create as they're going through you know and you're discovering these people who are very open to the camera and they talk about their own lives it's just it's a wonderful movie at the end she uh supposedly is going to meet up with Jean-Luc Godard who you know she knows from the old days she was actually one of the originators of the French New Wave in the early 60s 
and um, well, he doesn't show up, and it's it's a very sad moment, you know. I mean, he's as ornery as they come, yeah. So it's not entirely, but the way that's resolved, and and how she finally kind of uh, works it out with with this with this guy Jr. and they they, it's just. It's hard to describe, but it's it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, I love Agnes's approach to film. It's very uh, we're talking a little about before the show started. It's just very feminine in how she approaches it. It's not at all um, as you were describing pre-planned. It's very kind of floaty and almost more yeah, poetic. There's, there's nothing coercive, and she doesn't. You know, like I said, she she discovers her film in the process of making it, and obviously in the editing room. But but you don't get the feeling in this movie that. You know, there was a playbook of any kind, mm-hmm. and that's what's so wonderful about it. Just tangentially, it's, I, I just realized it's funny that some a number of the best films that I've liked this year were made by people well into their 80s. I don't think it's on that list, but Andre Vida's last movie, uh, Before He Died, After Image, is a terrific film about an avant-garde artist during um, uh, a communist oppression in Poland. Uh, he was 90 when he died. He made the film shortly before that. Fred Wiseman is 87. Varda is 89. So you can make terrific movies as a, uh, you know, octogenarian, Everybody folks. Everybody has something to say. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Florida Project uh, briefly. Uh, Willem Dafoe getting a lot of Oscar buzz himself for this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently breakout child star actors. Um I enjoyed the film, but it's again with our punch card, hits a lot of takes, but didn't do a lot for me. What was it doing for you? Because it's like number two on your list. Uh, yeah, I would say maybe one. Um, Give it a one? Yeah, I okay. mean, it, it's it. I really, I don't know. This movie just struck me the right way. I think that it has a a kind of free form poetic aspect to it that. You know the 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 the, the comprehension of, of of childhood uh that's in this movie is i think on par with some of the best of the Truffaut films like small change uh i it's Defoe is great you know i he's often good, but I think this is his most human scaled performance mm-hmm. there are no prosthetics or anything going on there he's playing a, a sort of bedraggled motel manager uh, in this rundown motel uh, outside of Disney World where mostly single mothers uh, or grandmothers and their and their children are there uh Brooklyn prince who's the the child star of the film I think she's six or seven yeah uh, she's had some theatrical experience i gather but but Boy, is she a terrific performer. She's a firecracker. She's yeah, dynamite. I mean, it's really good. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I think it, it just really struck me as a kind of, you know, poetic, uh, you know, reverie of, of, of childhood in, in a way that I hadn't seen very much in an American film. This feels, uh, this is also another film like The Phantom Thread that was shot on location. So this is an active hotel where people are right. living. And Defoe in his um, Hollywood Roundtable talks about how important it was to be surrounded by the people and, and it was easier to become one of them instead of just talking about their story, you know, actively living it, um, which I think definitely shows up on film. Yeah, and and he, the film was shot in 35, I believe, and his last film was shot on iPhones. <laughs> so, you know, he's he's versatile. He's willing to experiment. Yeah. Uh, speaking of versatile, my favorite film, I'll gather your number two then, is Get Out, um, yeah. which came out of nowhere and slapped me in the face. Uh, I have never been more afraid of teacups in my entire life. Uh, the idea of visualizing pain in a way that is uh, a black box 
um, was so inventive and I think probably as visceral as 2001 A Space Odyssey the first time you see it. Um, and then, of course, just this new talent on the screen, Jordan, and from this, of course, he'll have his... Uh, He's going to do a Twilight Zone. Yeah. Which, I mean, after this, you got to think, like, yeah. what better mind could there possibly be to do it? Um, what was different about Get Out for you? I just thought it was it was such an original movie. It was like a mashup of all of these types of films, of genres that normally just don't go together. It was a horror film. It was a comedy. It was a, you know, very... Uh, bracing you know socially conscious film satire all of these things that were put in together uh and it all works it's it's a very daring thing to do for any director let alone a first-time writer director and uh i I couldn't believe as the film went on what i was watching i said is this really as good as i think it is you know is this going to sort of devolve into you know a kind of zombie movie Mm -hmm. and and but no i mean it really it, it with all of the f- films that have been coming out and all the discussion about race relations in this country uh to me this is the movie that speaks most clearly to to the paranoia and and the unrest that 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 is behind a lot of this and i think in a hyper intelligent way i've seen so often again just very surface explorations of racism in america and this is such a a deep dive into what it's like to experience racism, um, how people can be both aware and unaware of their traits is a fascinating film and super fun to watch, even in your second or third. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great to watch with an audience. It's not, not the best way to see this movie, you know, at at home, (laughs) you know, streaming it or something, you know, you really, it's one of those movies you really need to see with a full house because it, it's, uh, you know, everybody screams in the right places and they just, they're really with it. There's an electricity in the audience that I hadn't experienced in, in most films that I've seen this and year. And watching it, I felt it must be like uh, the first time people saw Planet of the Apes. Just in... Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a sense of discovery and also a discovery of, 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 of a wonderful new talent, uh, you know, at least as a film director. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, even the lead actor, uh, whose name I can never pronounce, it's got a lot of A's and W's, um, but he's now going on to be in Black Panther, and I know he's got another big movie deal Right, after yeah, that. he's from England, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, and, and Brian Williams' daughter is in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Allison. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a really, really good movie, and, and, and you know, I, I always like, for me, the best combination is scary, funny. So, you know, like Jaws was scary, yeah. funny, you know, that kind of, I mean, I think that's a wonderful combination, you know, if and when it works. Uh, so I, I think this, um, this film is really the, the breakout, Get Out is the breakout movie of the year. And I hope that it, uh, it, it does well. I'm not a big Oscar person, but I hope it does well there for a lot of obvious reasons. Yeah. You know, I don't think that that movies like that normally get awards because they're considered, you know, horror films or sure. something. But I think we're past all of that. And 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 it, it really is, it, it's more, it feels realer, more, you know, to, 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 to have a film that have all these different tones going on it about that subject than other films, you know, even films like Detroit and some other films that came out this year. Well, that, you know, I mean, they sort of show you what, what happened in, in, in its way, but but this film, I think, really shows you from the inside out how it, how it feels, 
you know, and it also doesn't pull any punches uh, with, you know, the, 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 the white liberal establishment. I mean, that's really one of the targets of this movie, um, you know, the hypocrisy that is, is so much a part of racism. So I, I just, it's a wonderful film. I really enjoyed it, too. I enjoyed going through your top ten list today, too, Peter. That was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, in the links below, like, tell us what your favorite movies of the year were. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you have some input? <laughs> Mother! <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> um, but we definitely want to hear from you. Uh, this is our last show of the year, but we will be back in January. So just follow the Popcorn Talk Twitter page, and you'll get an update on uh, our exact date. We'll be coming back. But thank you so much for joining us this year. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you, Peter, for coming in. Always and, a pleasure. Thank you, Joel. Educating us. It was wonderful. Sure. And we'll see you guys next year. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.